oh yes it's unacceptable for men to go around banging tables but they're not going to have the same negative reaction as a woman does if she horror of horrors you know starts crying hello and welcome to the women in leadership podcast i'm angie mazzetti one of my interviews straight after college the guy from an english petrochemicals company he just sat me down and said so are you married are you engaged? Do you have a boyfriend? And like, just looking for reasons not to have, you know, I, I just, I knew I wasn't going to get that job. Mary Carroll of Wits, Women in Technology and Science, a voluntary organization supporting women in STEM to reach their full potential through informed choices. She's an engineer and Mary's had a very varied career, working on everything from the design of helicopters to now working as an expert consultant, training companies in the diversity area. A woman who had nothing to do with the meeting was called on to bring the teas and then was sent back downstairs because it wasn't in a mug and he wanted a mug and not a cup. This sort of discriminatory behaviour is often put down to unconscious bias, which Mary will be talking about later on. But first I asked her to tell me more about her own career and her company, Double X. I studied mechanical engineering in UCD and I suppose the reason I did that was I absolutely loved maths at school and was very encouraged. We had um, a career guidance teacher at the time who I think was encouraging all of us to do engineering. So a fair percentage or a fair number of people in my class actually at school did engineering. We had an amazing um, maths teacher, Jerry Coogan, and he was brilliant. And um, it made it just made it so interesting. So um, I did mechanical engineering. I graduated in the 80s when there were no jobs available. And I, along with, I'd say, um, a large number of people from my class went to the UK. And I ended up on a management or a graduate training program there where I got some really interesting experience working, you know, designing helicopters on a placement in Westland Helicopters. I worked um, in Vickers in Leeds and um, but I decided really I wanted to come home. So I worked as a, as a design engineer for a few years in various industries. Um, I became an engineering manager and I think I really realized that what I loved was, you know, the business. What is it? The business process. What is it that actually makes us really good at what we do. So I ended up going into management consulting um, with BSM and Galway, helping organisations with new product introduction processes and helping them with implementing software to support their processes. And then I took some time out and went travelling for a year around the world. And then I actually decided um, I volunteered with Goal in Zimbabwe for a while and um, helped them managing a food distribution programme. <laughs> And then I came home and I worked for Kragana in Galway Medical Devices, really successful Irish medical devices company. And I worked for them initially as a customer program manager, you know, managing the relationship with um, the three, our three biggest customers, and then moved into um, business development, acquisitions and mergers. And then I moved back to Dublin and I worked with Plan Ireland for a while. Around the time, actually, that I had my son six years ago, I decided to go out on my own. I had trained before that as an executive coach and I set up Growth Potential and Double X at that time and I absolutely love what I do now. So why did you set up Double uh, X? I mean, what, what did you see a need for it out there? I just was increasingly aware, I suppose, of some of the barriers that women face in reaching their full potential in the workplace. And then I suppose I become increasingly aware of the unconscious bias that we face. So there's the stuff that we're aware of and then there's the stuff that we're not aware of. And I'm talking about us ourselves as well, like that everybody has unconscious bias. So we all have unconscious biases and a very interesting way to test your own is to go and do the implicit association test online, the Harvard one, if you Google it, you'll find it. And I think what's surprising is that even people who 
feel very strongly about equality find that they have their own biases. I wanted to be positive about this. I wanted to find ways of actually actively for to help organisations and women themselves to actually address this and to, to come up with action plans to actually address it. Is, is it a hard sell or are companies open to this idea or is it just a, a box ticking exercise for them sometimes? I think companies are increasingly aware of it. I think they're becoming much more aware of it. And I would say even over the last five or six years since I set up, I would notice, you know, there's much more talk about this. I mean, Sheryl Sandberg's book, I think, and getting that that discussion out in the public arena. And I think a lot more organisations are very aware of it because they realise that there's a huge business case for it. It makes sense. There's all this research that demonstrates that um, if you have gender balanced management teams and boards, your organisation performs better financially. It makes sense because if you have a design team that's you know, that's very that's that's very one dimensional. Well, then you're not designing, for example, for the whole population. It makes sense because so many women are buyers. Um, and I think a really good example, actually, that I saw recently was um, Google spoke about the fact that when they first designed the app for iPhones, what they realized was that for five percent or approximately five percent of the population, it was loading upside down. And what they realized was that that five percent of the population were the left handed people and that they hadn't had any left handed people on the team. And that's something that you, as a right-handed person, wouldn't even know was a disadvantage for a left-handed person. So I just think that's a good example of, of where diversity on teams really matters. The reality of it is, is that if you are only choosing from 50% of the population for your talent pool, well, then obviously you're limiting yourself. Did you ever come across any challenges in your own career? Hmm. Um, that hmm is very <laughs> indicative. <laughs> I think every woman faces those kind of challenges. Sometimes they don't even realise it until maybe 10 years later and they go, actually, maybe that was what was causing it. I think that's it. I think you look back at the time. I would say that, you know, I would say that being a female engineer was largely a positive experience for me. I had I enjoyed it. I had some fantastic colleagues Um, I enjoyed it. I would say there were occasions uh, when you know, I felt I, um, I'm trying to think of I, I would say there are there were one or two occasions when I experienced uh, when wh- where I where I experienced. I'll give you an example. One of them was one of my interviews straight after college. The guy from an English petrochemicals company, he just sat me down and said, so are you married? Are you engaged? Do you have a boyfriend? And like just looking for reasons not to, ha- you know, I, I just I knew I wasn't going to get that job. So that's just a, a, a very obvious example but as you say looking back I would look at particular instances and go hmm and I have some great you know if you talk to any other women so many women the, the one that a lot of women talk about is not being heard at a meeting so for example you know you you put an idea out there nobody seems to hear it 10 minutes later John suggests the idea and everybody leaps on it and says oh that was that's fantastic let's let's work with John's idea and actually that I, I do remember one occasion when that happened one occasion that sticks in my mind when that happened to me because his name wasn't John, but John in this case actually turned around and said, well, actually, no, that was Mary's idea. And I was actually I thought fair play to you, John, for not, you know, I've just so many examples. I mean, I'm thinking of a friend of mine, civil engineer, London on a building site in the kitchen one day. This new guy comes in and asks her, says, I'll have milk and two sugars. Just assumed she was the tea lady. You know, I think of examples where people women just being asked to take little things like women being asked to take the minutes, being asked to cover the phones, those types of things. So. There's the stuff that you're aware of. And then looking back, there's all the stuff that you go. Hmm. And then there's the stuff that you'll probably never know. 
Talk to me more about unconscious biases. I know this is an area that you're passionate about. What sort of things are people, do they have unconscious biases about? And in practical ways, how does that hold back careers, particularly women's careers? I mean, one of them is, I would say, the paradigm that we have for leadership and even for STEM, science, technology, engineering, maths, like the types of people that will that will work in those. So, for example, if you, there's been lots of research done and one of them was that um, if you ask people um, for the characteristics of men and you ask them for their characteristics of women and you ask them for the characteristics of leaders, there'll be a 90% overlap between the characteristics of men in their heads and leaders and only maybe 10% between women and leaders. So people, when they think manager, they think male. When they think a person, an engineer, they think they think male as well. Another example, unfortunately, is that people are just much more likely to hire a man. Like there, there's been numerous studies done where they'll have a CV that's identical, except for the fact that one is a female name and one is a male name. And unfortunately, both men and women are much more likely to hire the male candidate with the exact same qualifications than the female candidate. There's some really interesting studies. One in particular that leaps to mind is about criteria changing. So there was an interesting study, I think it was done by Yale University, where they had two CVs um, for police chief. They didn't specify the gender initially. One had more education and one had more experience. When they specified the gender and male had more education, they still said, yes, education is more more important. But when they switched it and gave the woman more education, suddenly the criterion changed. And it was like, oh, well, actually, do you know what? We're, we're picking the guy because experience has suddenly. So I think companies having an awareness of that and actually even outlining the criteria before you move into the selection process just helps to kind of focus the attention and just make sure that the, those criteria don't change. I mentioned earlier on this idea of people not being heard and you know there's again research that would indicate that female experts don't tend to be listened to as much as male experts unfortunately and um, there's a very interesting case study by a woman called Kathleen Prop, where she talks about um having groups you know they they used a child custody case as the example and they have like groups with four people each in it and they gave one person in each group specific case information about the child custody case and interestingly when only one person had that information 72 percent of the time that information was listened to when it was presented by a man but it was only it was only used 13 percent of the times when it was presented by a woman in all of this you know women are also advised to be more assertive so there's this old thing about oh well women just need to be more assertive and they just need to get out there and if women feel that they're being told well listen you're just a bit you know you're a bit quiet for this role and you need to get out there but the problem is if you do become more assertive that actually can upset people you know because it's counter to this gender stereotype that people have that women are nice and they're compliant and they're going to make life easy for everybody and the problem with that is is that what's you know bossy in a woman is seen as powerful and, as, and assertive in a man there's not an awful, lot, an awful lot that you can do about that as an individual I would say that having an awareness about that and questioning yourself and your own biases when you find yourself having a negative reaction to an assertive woman is is, is a starting point. Is measurement key as well? I mean, you can have all the strategies in place, but unless you're measuring it and, you know, watching the data all the time, how do you know if the if your strategies are working or not? Yeah. And how, I mean, how important is measurement? I think measurement is important. And there's the obvious stuff like, you know, what percentage of what men and women do we have in this organization? What percentage of them are reaching management? What percentage of them are being promoted? Uh, comparing salaries and making sure actually that there's no and um, bias in your in your salaries but there's also um uh an interesting um 
I know Google are strong on this. They speak as well about really nailing the data down. So, for example, they speak about a situation that they found where when they actually had data on the performance of teams, what they found was that the assumptions were made that the men on the team were responsible for the good performance of those teams, right? When they actually said, no, we're going to drill down further and we're going to score people individually, both the men and the women scored well. But there's something about actually having as much data as possible so that assumptions can't be made to fill the gap. What are the typical sort of problems companies present with? Companies that would take me on to look at this issue, there would be a recognition maybe that there that there are people in the company that are in, in denial about bias and barriers and so on and so forth and there's there's a need to actually raise awareness about it sometimes it's actually that there's a thirst in the company the people in the company are saying well we want to know more about this stuff because we want to do the right thing now it's it's a do the right thing and it's it's b um there's a business case for it so it makes sense if you want your company to grow to make sure that you're actually optimizing all of your talent i would say i would say they're the two main reasons and then of course you know some people would say well or you need to deal at an organizational level. This is not something that women should have to solve. And to a large extent, I agree with that. What I find is that when I run women-only workshops and when women have a chance to actually, especially women that come from diverse organizations and come together, it's a really great opportunity for women to, to come together and just discuss their experience and say, gosh, that happened to me too. And I thought that, that it was just, just me, me, but now I actually realize this happens to lots of people and it's got nothing to do with me personally. It's just got to do with biases in society or stereotypes in society. What sort of things would have happened to women from your experience from those groups? One that leaps to mind is a woman that I dealt with. She and um, her team won an award for a development programme that they had run out. And when she went up to receive the award, she was actually somebody who said, well, I didn't really, I wasn't really sure that this was an issue. But when she went up to receive the award with one of her male junior colleagues, they just automatically turned to him to present him with the award. You know, it's little things like, well, sorry. I mean, that was a big deal to her because it was a big event for her and it was a huge achievement for her team. You mentioned that you run workshops for women sometimes. What format do they take and what sort of challenges do women share in these workshops? So looking at women's sources of personal power, for example, like what, you know, and but but within all of that, there's a forum for people to actually discuss their experiences. So some of the experiences that people have come up against is this feeling that, you know, they're perceived if they're too assertive as being bossy, for example. If you're in a minority, this feeling that you're representing all of womankind if you make a mistake. So, you know, it's like this this notion that if I make a mistake, well, then it's going to be perceived that women are just bad at this. Do you know the glass ceiling, the glass labyrinth, the glass cliff, which is where like you um, are, or even the glass escalator, whereby even in an organization that's dominated by women, ironically, sometimes men are escalated to the top. And even in a very female heavy organization, you can still have um, uh, a very male management team. This notion that, um, and uh, so many women have experienced this, this feeling that, oh my God, like I had an instant where I actually cried at work and how humiliating it was and how they were made to feel so unprofessional and and without the recognition that actually that's just another emotion, you know? And oh yes, it's unacceptable for men to go around banging tables, but they're not going to have the same negative reaction as a woman does if she, horror of horrors, you know, starts crying. Assumptions that are made about women's priorities, so especially if they have children that, you know, and assumptions that are made to the degree that they're not even actually in the room when these decisions are made as to whether they're going to be 
approached or not. So, for example, you know, we need somebody to go to Asia to launch a new product or whatever. We can't ask her because she has kids and she's not going to be interested. But without actually asking her if she is interested, the penalty to be paid for, you know, this 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 feeling, I suppose, that women don't self-promote. And I mean, I think that's probably you might find this, you know, that women are much more much less likely, for example, to say yes, to go on radio and they're much less likely to put themselves forward. And that's because historically and research backs this up there is a penalty to be paid for self-promoting as a female it's like who the hell does she think she is type of thing i mean you see it with the with the amount of trolling that women get when they go on air that men never get (laughs) for expressing an opinion i just it's it's actually shocking isn't it yeah one of the things that i really notice is you know so many women just express this oh my god like don't tell me it's going to be like this for my daughters as well you know this this feeling that it's moving at such change, like change is happening. But I think there's a there's a fear, perhaps, that it's just changing at such a slow pace that are my daughters going to have to face this as well? So there are some of the themes that come up. And how quickly it can slip back. I mean, we saw from the 1916 commemorations, you know, how women had played such a key role. And then yet 20, 30, 40, 50 years, they're forgotten. They're airbrushed literally yeah. out of history. Yeah. And what other issues do women come up with at these um at these workshops that you run? I suppose some of them, it's interesting, like one of them that I thought that um, resonated for me was one of the women I remember one time talking about, this was her experience of women arriving late for a meeting and being very apologetic and, oh, I'm sorry, and harassed. And, you know, she's talking about a male colleague saying, walking in and saying, thanks for waiting. Now, I mean, it's funny because some people would say, well, you should, you should actually acknowledge and say, I'm sorry, I'm late. So it's it's just interesting, you know, that um, perhaps he's more likely to get away with that. But I suppose some of the ways that have been suggested for addressing some of these issues. So, for example, you know, if you spot this common um, experience that women have of not being heard at meetings, that you'd actually maybe highlight it on behalf of the other woman so that she doesn't have to say, well, I said that 10 minutes ago. You go, oh, John, it's really interesting that you liked Erica's point. So you um, call it out, basically. That you call it out. And I remember a colleague of mine, a male colleague of mine, actually once t- t- talking about um, his wife's experience of being asked to man the phones at lunchtime. And, and she said to her, the, 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 her boss who asked her, yeah, put my name right down, uh, down immediately after yours. So sometimes there's, there are ways of addressing this without being, becoming confrontational about it. But I think that's actually quite common. And I've mentioned it before, this, this you know, can you take the notes can you man the phones when your male colleagues aren't being asked to do it, do you know? Or the tea and the coffee is another one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Or take the notes, you yeah. say. <laughs> yeah, and I was at a meeting actually very recently where um, a woman who had nothing to do with the meeting was called on to bring the teas and then was sent back downstairs because it wasn't in a mug and he wanted a mug and not a cup. Who was the mug there? <laughs> <laughs> so when, when women get together, do you find sometimes they come up with solutions just from being together from their own, you know, diverse perspectives and yet they have similar problems but do they come up with solutions from thinking together and working together absolutely and i think what it is is it's it's actually the confidence that women get from knowing that this is not personal this isn't about this isn't me this isn't because i'm kind of not really making the grade this is actually because um society is biased in some ways and this isn't a them and us thing this is like we all have those biases it's societal it's we get it from the cradle Um, an acknowledgement that or a recognition that this isn't about my own personal shortcomings this is just external forces
Yeah. And I think people get great consolation in that. And it just makes them go, do you know what? That's great. I can just go out and I can move on and I can address all this stuff and not just address all this stuff, but just get on with stuff and just let this stuff slide past me, do you know? So when women finish doing the courses or whatever you you put together, the seminars, do they go out full of vim and vigour and ready with new perspectives to attack the, the situations or the challenges they're facing in their own workplaces? They do. And the other feedback I've had from females who are also managers is, and sorry, from all of them is that they actually recognize they see stuff more after doing the course they recognize things and from the women is that they're more cognizant of the need to be um to recognize biases when they're happening and to recognize and 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 to address them yeah so that's good for the the people that report into them as well so you work with women do you ever work with men because you know they say that you know we can talk among ourselves forever but unless we get to talk to the people who are who have the levers of power which are typically the men that nothing is going to change do you ever work with men and what's the what's the difference in their approach Absolutely, I do, because um, and I completely agree with that, that, you know, this isn't a women's issue. This isn't something that women need to solve. This is actually something that all of us need to solve. So I would do um, workshops with organisations where, again, it would be similar, actually. You know, what's the business case? What are the barriers that are are preventing you from optimising all of your talent? And how do you go go about addressing it so action plans to address it and do you find that men go away with kind of different perspective with the would have they got the gender classes on do they have a different perspective when they when they leave i think they do i think that sometimes sometimes in some organizations there is a little bit of a re, of resistance to actually coming into the conversation in the first place because this doesn't apply to us and we have equality and you know people like to think that they are equitable you know that they that they treat everybody equally once people become aware of the fact that this is something that we all have it's societal this is not personal and even if you have uh, laws in place and guidelines in place you just there's there's more to do here now you're passionate about um uh, wits women yeah. in tech what is it what does wits stand for first of all so wits is women in technology and science um set up in 1990 by the science journalist mary mulvihill who sadly passed away last year i suppose set up at a time when there were very few women in stem and actually you know in some areas that those percentages don't seem to have moved that much and set up i suppose because some women were feeling quite isolated working in stem over the last 26 years have just done some phenomenal things like events and projects like a re-enter project i know that wits were involved in several years ago supporting women returning from maternity leave into into the workplace into the stem workplace in 2014 we actually underwent a strategy exercise and really said well like what are the strategic objectives that we have for the next three years and we are people in STEM supporting women in STEM to reach their full potential through informed choices. So we run events that allow women, that inform women and that also allow them um, network. And what's different about WITS, I suppose, is that we are a very broad organisation. So there are women in academia, there are women who run their own businesses and there are women in the corporate world, right from student membership, right up to people who are retired. And so the events provide an opportunity for people to educate themselves. There are networking events. We have just formed a policy subcommittee where we, and historically we have done a lot of commenting on policy, but we've set up a policy subcommittee to actually look at policy that affects women in STEM and to comment on it and to lobby for for changes. We have a programme of projects that we roll out that I suppose achieve our objectives and we obviously want to increase our membership. We want to be a recognised voice in gender and diversity and inclusion so it's a really active group. Is there a need to encourage more girls 
younger women to get into science. I mean, you were lucky that you had a really thought provoking, encouraging male teacher uh, who encouraged you and so many of your classmates. How can we approach, how can we get younger women to be interested in something that's not seen as, as a great career for women? It hasn't been up to now. This is the challenge. And I know Accenture did a report a few years ago where they looked at, like, what is it that is preventing? What are the attitudes? They interviewed a thousand female students, I think, and asked and, and, and reported back on, on their findings. And one of the things that they found was that um, there was a lack of role models. They found that actually, interestingly, I think it was something like 44% of those students believed that STEM subjects were more suited to boys than girls, which I actually find astounding in this day and age that that, that, that was the attitude. And it's funny because I think it must vary from school to school because, you know, you you talk to some people and they say, oh, look, every second career guidance we talk we get is about STEM. And I do think it's changing the role models. I think there is a lot more visibility now. You know, you have the EU um, coding girl of the year and you have um, and I suppose there's some organizations like Coda Dojo. They actually set up a girls only organization to just try and get more girls into the mainstream of it. I think that continuing to work on visibility and I think as well, there's something about I mean, when I was in third year engineering, I remember being asked back to my school to tell them about to talk about engineering. And somebody said to me, what do engineers do? And I actually didn't have a clue. So there's something about, (laughs) and it's so broad engineering. I mean, Mm. I'm picking that because it's so broad. And I mean, there are so many things that you could possibly do with it. And I think organizations like Smart Future, you know, um, Smart Futures and Engineers Ireland and so on are doing a really good job of raising awareness in schools about what, what, what's involved in being engineer, in an, an engineer, what's involved in being a scientist. So it's just keeping, keeping that momentum up. Are you optimistic about the future of women in science and engineering and technology? It's a bit frustrating, the fact that in some areas, those percentages have not changed since I left college in the late 80s, and you kind of wonder why. A lot of the very exciting jobs, I think, are going to be in technology. So it's just about, I think, raising awareness. I'm optimistic. I think that there's a lot of work to be done on continuing that drive of, of raising awareness, promoting role models, making it obvious to girls just how exciting this whole area can be. Okay, and you're glad you're an engineer? Yes. Somebody said to me recently, but sure, lots of engineers, they end up not working in engineering. But I think the thing about it is, is that it trains you. It's great for, it trains you to, um, I think I, I'm really happy with the, the training that you get from training as an engineer, that it trains you to think in a certain way. And I think it just opens up so many possibilities to you, you know, so people end up working in really diverse areas, but that's what's exciting about it. For anybody who's kind of stuck mid-career, say somebody who's in their 30s and they see all the young guns or the young Turks, as it was described to me by another woman recently, bypassing them, mm. going up the escalator. And uh, they think, well, actually, maybe I just need a coach is there anything that a coach can help you with or is the system just so biased against women that it's not going to make much difference? How important is coaching? There, there are two things. There's what organisations can do and then there's what you as an individual can do. Coaching is very focused on the coachee being the architect of their own solutions. And so it's very much, OK, this is the way it is. What am I going to do about it? So I do think it's very effective at, you know, if there's something happening that you're not happy with and you'd like to address it. I think coaching is a brilliant vehicle for doing that. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that I do as well. I do executive coaching on a one to one level and I do business coaching where I help organizations to solve problems or to achieve goals, but very much with a coaching approach, which is like you guys know your business better than anyone. And I'm guiding you through this process. 
And what would you say to companies who haven't taken up the offer of a company like yours to do unconscious bias training, who are stuck in the dark ages, who don't get the whole need for diversity and gender balance? What would you say to encourage them to start thinking about it? Right. So first of all, there's the business case. And there's lots of research that demonstrates that the business, that, that your business, that businesses perform better if they have diverse management teams and boards. I mean, if you have all middle aged, middle class, white hex- heterosexual males that went to certain schools running your organization, they're going to have a very limited focus and they're not going to see all the opportunities that are out there. So it's kind of common sense having other perspectives around the table that's got to be good for your organization if you are involved in marketing to the world you you know you need some representatives to, to reflect your customer base yeah and i suppose the other thing is it's the right thing to do so it's going to be it's your company is actually going to be more attractive because increasingly actually women and minorities are looking around to say where is a good company to, for me to work, right? If you're looking to attract the best graduates, you need to make your organisation somewhere that's actually attractive to women and that they feel that they're going to progress. If they don't feel they're going to progress, then you've already eliminated 60%. Sorry, you've they're going to self-select out. But actually, the other thing is you need to be thinking in terms of you need also to be not biased in terms of the people that you're looking to hire. And of course, one of the oldest ones is that people, we, we hire people that we look for mirror images of ourselves when we're hiring, unless we become aware that we're doing that. So not hiring mirror images of yourself means that you will actually get more talent into your organization. The other thing to bear in mind is that I think it's like something like, do they reckon that 80% of consumer decisions are made by women so your marketplace if you're if you're in consumer goods is primarily women if you're in other goods it's a large percentage of it is women as well so if you're trying to get women to buy from you you need to have their viewpoints represented and the easiest way to do that is to ensure that you have a diverse workforce that was wits ireland mary carroll with wise words on finding your voice particularly when you're a woman in science And if you like what you hear, do take a minute to rate us on iTunes. That would be really great. Our email address is info at womeninleadership.ie. That's info at womeninleadership.ie. We're also interested in any jaw droppers. Everybody has one. You know, when somebody says something to you so offensive, your jaw just drops with disbelief. Anyway, do get in touch with us. Jawdroppers at womeninleadership.ie or info at womeninleadership.ie. Just look on the website and you'll find how to get to us from there. That's all for now from me, Angie Mazzetti and all the team. Goodbye and take care.